0: Amen. Thank you, choir, for reminding us of the promise that we are waiting on, that has come and yet will come again, Jesus Christ, our Lord. What a beautiful picture of the promise that we see in Scripture. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today, but before we get there, I just want to say thank you so much for your prayers, for your encouragement uh, during the last, uh, it's been really I realized my son Isaiah has never known me not to be in school. I've been in school longer than he's been alive, so it's been over half of May's life I've been in school, so it's great to be done. So thank you so much for your prayers and encouragement and all the kindness. I just really appreciate looking forward to uh, celebrating uh, downstairs after the service today. I hear Jared says we can get the Titans game on down there, so uh, we should be okay uh, for the Texans game today. Uh, you know, we had dinner with the director of the D-Men program at Lipscomb on Friday night and he was telling us about the graduation service. Some of you may have seen it on the news. The, the first graduation service for Lipscomb happened on Thursday at the Tennessee Prison for Women. And they have done this great work for uh, over 15 years now in the, the state penitentiary for women where they have enrolled these certain women who pass certain standards who have their GED or high school equivalency test and they have gone at least two years without a single demerit, but you can get for having your shirt not tucked in the right way or something. Uh, these women spend seven years of intense study just to get an associate's degree and then if they wanna go on for another six years after 13 years, years, they can receive an accredited bachelor's degree, which is an amazing thing. It's called the Life Program. And I told the director of the program, that makes me proud to be a Lipscomb graduate, that work that Lipscomb's doing. It was on the news. Bill Lee, our governor, spoke at that graduation service on Thursday. And and I told him, I'm proud to be the pastor of Woodmont Baptist Church as well, because on Wednesday night, we had about 10 guys that joined Don Abel and and Bob Buckner and others at Lois DeBerry Special Needs State Prison as they served a Christmas dinner to over 60 men. And Steve Wilkinson preached, he's in Belvedere, Tennessee preaching today, but one of our own members preached the gospel and 20 men came forward to respond to the word of hope that they'd receive the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. Just some neat things that are happening. And then Friday morning, I wish you could have seen, if, if you're gonna cook breakfast at six in the morning for 350 high schoolers at Hillsborough High School, Dewey Dunn is gonna be there. He loves, he's been up for two hours already, he loves to cook breakfast and he's great at it. But David and, and others, Debbie uh, joined us, Nan Teeter and uh, Carol Vaughn and, and many others, Who uh, Trey Heyman, our minister, uh, students, who's he's working with the church plant uh, today, but we all showed up bleary-eyed, Jim Myers, once we found where to go uh, at six in the morning. And, and I was on bacon duty. And of course, my dog, when I got home, uh, loved me. Uh, I, I went to May's choir concert after that, uh, cooking about 10 pounds of bacon in two hours. And May said, Dad, you, you smell fantastic. <laughs> and I said, good, thanks. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoy that. But our church is doing some amazing things and I just, I'm just i so glad that Hillsborough High School can call on Woodmont whenever they need volunteers to come and do something. Thank you so much to everyone who ministers. I was hearing stories about Room in the Inn from last night from Marcus. Just uh, so many ways that this church is reaching out and being the hands and feet of Jesus. I want you, you don't see that if you just show up here on Sunday. So I want you to know these stories of how this church is reaching out and blessing our neighbors and bringing hope and healing to those who need it. So, we're going to continue during this Advent season, this Waiting on the Promise series, with this beautiful text from Luke chapter 2. We've been talking about this idea of waiting and, and leaning into this idea of anticipation and longing and expectancy that takes place during this Advent season. You know, the, the fact is we, we live in a fallen world. We, we all feel this, this sense that something is wrong here. There's an ache in our bones that cries out for deliverance still and the renewal of all things for God and man to be reconciled, as we just sang. So we're going to spend some time this month in these texts that have to do with this idea of waiting, As we await the advent of Christ, God with us once again. The Gospel of Luke tells us more information about the baby Jesus than any other source. So we're going to fast forward today, 40 days after the birth of Christ, to the time when Joseph and Mary took their baby infant son to the temple in Jerusalem to be dedicated About six weeks had passed since the angels had appeared in glory to the shepherds watching their flocks by night and announced the good news of the Messiah's birth. Mary and Joseph had since returned to Nazareth to try to settle in. If you've ever brought your first child home from the hospital, you know that feeling of now what are we supposed to do? Mary and Joseph had been through all that settling into this new routine with their sweet young family. And now it was time to go up to Jerusalem to, to both dedicate the baby Jesus and for Mary to go through the purification ritual that the law required. So let's stand with that in mind as I read our text for today, if you're able to stand today. From Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 35, hear now the word of the Lord. When the time came for their purification... is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. You know, it's really easy during this season of year to be overwhelmed, to be stressed out. Morgan and I had a really long Friday, a really long Saturday. Looking forward to uh, reception today, but then I'm looking forward to spending an hour on my couch with the Titans game this afternoon before I have to come back for Deacons meeting. Before I get to come back, sorry Sandy, before I get to come back for Deacons meeting. It's easy during this time of year to look on social media and start to compare yourself to one another if you're on social media. I'm talking to you guys in the back there. It's easy to look at all those beautiful Christmas cards that are streaming into my house and see families in their matching sweaters and they're all so happy and their smiles are, are beautiful and it looks like they have it all together. You know they don't, right? <laughs> you know I don't. My family certainly doesn't have it all together. It's easy to see these, these pictures with the fireplace in the background and the Christmas tree all beautifully decorated with all the presents already neatly wrapped. Who has all their presents wrapped? Morgan's almost done. She's, she sent a load of presents wrapped. Diana's a go-getter. You got your presents wrapped. It's, it's amazing. It's easy to get comparative and start to think that you are behind, that you are less than, To be worried. My guess is that the reality for most of us is this is a difficult time in many ways. I know there's many people in our church who are going to have a very different type of Christmas this year since losing a loved one. We had 19 church members who have transitioned from this life to the next in the last year for their families. They will feel it. Traditions won't be the same. I know many of you are dealing with with broken family situations where divorce has has made things awkward and, and difficult and painful. Many of you have estranged relatives for whatever reason. Many of us have difficult family dynamics that make holidays stressful for many of us. Or you could just maybe be struggling financially and knowing that every present that you buy means sacrificing something else this year. The good news is that the Bible doesn't give us this rosy Pollyanna type idea of Christmas. It doesn't show us a rosy picture of families all around the table looking beautiful and having it all together. (coughs) That, That picture is more a product of our consumer culture that's aimed at separating you from your money. The actual Christmas narrative that we see in scripture, in God's word, is full of danger. It's full of fear. It's it's full of incredibly difficult, stressful situations. An unexpected pregnancy. An engagement on the rocks. A, A forced trip into a crowded town with no room to stay. A labor, a difficult labor in a stable, in unsanitary conditions. A jealous king who goes on a murderous rage, killing children. Our text for today is about a guy named Simeon. We don't know much about Simeon. The scripture doesn't tell us hardly anything about him. We'd be wrong to make conjectures about him. But it's a hopeful Advent passage. It's a passage that's full of deliverance and this promise. And the the scriptures are full of these kinds of passages where we are promised God's salvation. Praise God for that. But this text also contains warnings of pain and suffering. And I think that's the beauty of scripture is that it mirrors the stark reality of our actual lives in this fallen world. The the Bible doesn't attempt to paint a picture that's inauthentic of Christmas cheer and families and boughs of holly. It's not what it's about. I think today we're going to join Simeon in this passage in, in both rejoicing in hope at the arrival of the newborn king of the world, but we also continue to struggle with this sin-sick world in which we all dwell that subjects us to suffering each and every day. In many ways, we are still waiting for the true consolation of God's people, the second advent when Christ will return to finish making all things new once and for all. The passage that we read today starts out with Mary and Joseph taking their their six-week-old baby from Nazareth up to Jerusalem. Again, they're going to dedicate Jesus as the firstborn son, as holy to the Lord, but they're also devout Jews who are following the law of the Lord, as laid out in Leviticus chapter 12. So they must undergo these purification rituals for Mary as well. They're trying to accomplish two things when they go up to the temple. The law is clear in Leviticus that the offering for the purification after having a baby should be a lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. But Leviticus 12, chapter 12, verse 8 says, if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. Why does Luke include this detail? Because he wants us to see that, that Mary opted for the two birds because she could not afford a lamb. Jesus was born in abject poverty. Why does Luke subtly mention this? Why does he want us to see that Jesus is born into poverty? Because he's reminding us that Christianity began and always begins with what Kent Hughes calls A spiritual destitution. We are in and of ourselves poor in spirit. That means we bring nothing to the table. We are bankrupt spiritually. We are impoverished, every one of us. Bob Buckner reminded us of this fact yesterday morning at the men's breakfast. He was telling us how it's easy to go through our lives thinking, well, I read a lot of books on spirituality. I attend worship. I listen to Nathan's sermons. I uh, am even doing the Advent book this year from uh, Paul David Tripp. I'm pretty sure I have it all together. I'm doing okay. It's easy to think that until those illusions are shattered by working with people who come from very poor circumstances who have now been imprisoned for the rest of their lives and will die behind bars. Bob reminded us, that it's easy to put up those illusions of self-sufficiency, but once you speak on a regular basis with felons who come from very humble circumstances, we're reminded of the gospel necessity. He said so beautifully that we all need Jesus to come and invade our hearts. And apart from that, we are lost and without hope. Jesus said that he did not come to heal those who are well, but he came for those who are sick. When we buy into this lie of self-reliance, the good old American lie of self-reliance or self-sufficiency, we miss out on the truth of the gospel. God did not and does not come to the self-sufficient. He does not save the self-righteous. He comes to those who are poor in spirit. Many of us who've been Christians a long time start to believe this lie that we're okay because we maybe give some money to the church. We may give to the IMB mission offering this year. But we're not okay. We are poor in spirit. And therefore, the kingdom of God belongs to us. When you realize you are bankrupt spiritually, then Jesus comes. And fulfills you eternally where you gain the kingdom of heaven. So while Mary and Joseph are in the temple on this occasion, they, they meet two amazing people. We don't have time to talk about Anna today, but Simeon and Anna are both godly Jewish examples of, of piety and, and uprightness. They love the Lord. They're both expectant. The text says that they're both waiting In verse 25, it says that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word that's translated as consolation is the same word that in the the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it it, it says in Isaiah verse 40, chapter 1, the same word when the Lord was speaking tenderly to his people, Comfort, comfort my people. When Isaiah 40 was translated into Greek. They use the same word for consolation, comfort, comfort my people. That same word also shows up at the end of Isaiah in chapter 66, verse 13, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. I will console you. You shall be consoled, comforted. In Jerusalem. That's the idea of what Simeon was waiting for comfort, a word of consolation. You know, I'm learning as a, a dad, especially the dad of a seven year old daughter, how important comforting our children is and, and how to appropriately console them. It's not through trying to intellectually convince them, sometimes it's just keeping my mouth shut and just putting my arms around them as they hurt. They want comfort. Morgan's the real pro at this. I'm still learning, but even yesterday as we were walking into the arena for graduation, uh, May in her high heels tripped over a crack in the sidewalk and hit the ground hard, and her doll that she was carrying went flying, and um, I turned around. I was up ahead with Jude and, and Isaiah, and I turned around, and, and, and she was hurting, and, and Morgan just scooped her up, and she brushed her knees off, and she looked at her wound on her hand and she just wrapped her arms around her and consoled her. And I turned around and I went back to where May was and I wanted to make sure she knew that I saw her and I just put my arms around her as she silently sobbed into my, my robe as I was wearing at that point. Consolation, comfort. There are many folks here today and, and many more folks outside of these walls who long for consolation right now, who are waiting because they're sad, they're hurting, they need comfort. If this is you today, if you find yourself in a situation where you feel like you've just face planted on the sidewalk, then you know what Simeon was going through. He was desperately waiting for the Lord to come to his people who had fallen on the sidewalk hard to gently scoop them up, to to dust them off, to wrap his arms around them and say, it's gonna be okay, I've got you, I'm here. You know, for centuries, God had been silent. The song that the choir sang, the anthem was, break the silence, God, we've been waiting. For centuries, they hadn't had any prophets. No word from the Lord had come. And meanwhile, the Romans had come in and and taken over all of Israel and have set up an occupation in which the people were oppressed and heavily taxed unfairly. No comfort, no consolation, no Messiah, no deliverance, no rescuer, not yet. But Simeon had been given a promise, the text says, a promise given to him by God the Holy Spirit, Look at verse 26. It had been revealed to him, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The word for Christ means anointed one, Messiah in Hebrew. We're not without hope. In his generous grace, God has given us a promise, a promise that he sees us, a promise that he has not forgotten us. That one day every tear will be wiped away. Every wrong will be put right. Today's devotion in, in, in Paul David's Tripp, uh, David Tripp's book, Come Let Us Adore Him, says that one of the greatest promises of hope that we have in all of Scripture is found in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And we read these verses at Christmas every year, and they just kind of go in one ear and out the other. But in the devotion today, he breaks down each phrase of this amazing promise. Listen to Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Imagine that, given on a cross. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Wow, the government will be on his shoulder. That means that we can get off the throne of our own lives and quit trying to be the self-ruler in our own little kingdoms and be a part of the only kingdom that makes any sense at all, the kingdom of God. We can bow before a good king who provides for us and protects us in his perfect kingdom. What about mighty God? He brings power. He's mighty. He can accomplish what we could never hope to accomplish on our own our own salvation, everlasting father. The Messiah is not God the father, but he establishes a fatherly love and care over us by scooping us up off the pavement and dusting us off and wrapping his arms around us as our good, good father. Prince of peace, goodness gracious, our world is so violent we, in the anthem again, the choir saying, break the, the violence that we see in our world. We need a prince of peace, one who can enact a peaceful kingdom that squashes all the violence of this world. Do we believe these promises today? Do we hold on to this advent hope of one who will come as a ruler whose reign will never end? For Simeon, Hope came in the form of a baby for us too. He he laid eyes on Mary and Joseph approaching the temple and he knew the Holy Spirit was on him. He knew this was it. The Messiah, God in the flesh, had not only come to earth, he had come to Simeon at the temple. He got to hold the infant Messiah in his own human arms The early church called Simeon Theodoches, the God receiver, the God receiver, because he got to hold God in the flesh. Some of you enjoy it. My wife loves holding babies. She works every other Sunday down in the baby room, and when Thomas Elmore and Wesley Snell and all those babies are there, she just loves it. She gets her little baby fix holding those babies. This is that times a million, because he's holding a baby, but not just any baby. A baby who is God. I imagine he's holding him very tightly, very carefully. I get nervous when I hold babies. I can't imagine holding them aside. And he burst into song. He can't help but sing. Verse 27, he came in the spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Simeon took him up in his arms, took him up. I, I imagine he lifted him. For all to see, and he blessed God, that's a Jewish prayer, a barakah, a prayer of blessing, and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Jesus, you promised that I would see you, now I can die, is what he says. Many of you already know this particular passage is known as the Song of Simeon. There's four songs or canticles. I thought about preaching through them uh, during Advent one year, maybe next year. In Luke 1 and Luke 2, these these four songs, they're beautiful lyrical passages that have often been set to music, and they're used in readings throughout church history, and they're known by their Latin names. The first one you probably know is Mary's song, which is what? The Magnificat, right? You may not know Zechariah's song, which comes next after the birth of John and his mouth is open, there's the benedictus, and then the angels song, of course, Gloria in excelsis Deo. My cold choir director is not excelsis, eggshell. Eggshells is what they always teach you. I don't know why that is. Today, we're going to spend time with this song, which is known as the nunc dimittis. Nunc dimittis. Nunc dimittis are the first two words in the Latin Vulgate translation of Luke. I was telling Linda Pilcher, I'm, I'm, I'm using some Latin today. I feel really doctoral today using the Latin. Nunc dimittis servum tuum. Now let your servant depart. Let your servant go. Domine secundum verbum tuum. Master, domine, Lord, according to your word. Tuum, verbum tuum. In pace. Let me depart in peace. I can imagine Simeon holding this baby Trying not to smother him or drop him, but he's barely able to contain his joy. The very thing that Simeon had been living for, his entire existence, had now been completed in this baby that he held in his arms. His life was literally complete. In verse 30, he sings to the Lord, My eyes have seen your salvation. That's all I wanted to see, God. Now I've seen it. He had beheld salvation himself, Yeshua, the name that means salvation. And not just salvation for Israel, but verse 31 expands this salvation to the world. It says that God has prepared this salvation in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. If you're here today and you're not Jewish, this is good news for you and for me. One of the commentaries I read says that we who are Gentiles were sung about in the Jewish temple by a prophet as he held the Messiah in his arms. It's pretty special. You know, I read this, this text, the New Demitis, and I think, what is it? that if it happened to me, I could say my life is now complete. Everything that I've lived for, my life's purpose and goal, have been completely and utterly fulfilled. God, I could die now. What is it that we're living for? I think most of us, when we read this text, we we assume Simeon is an old man. The text never says that. Simeon could be, you know, my age, he could be under 40, he could be under 30. We don't know. I think it's wrong to assume that he's old. The text says that Anna's old. We get that. She may be 100, according to the text. We know that Simeon's been waiting, but we don't know how long he's been waiting. What, what is your nuke dimittis thing? What is the thing that we are living for so much That we spend our entire lifetime chasing it. What is our nump This text really makes us wrestle with these hard questions that have eternal impact on the way we live our lives now and in the future. Verse 33 tells us that Mary and Joseph just marveled as Simeon's talking about this global salvation that this baby is going to bring. And Advent is a time indeed to marvel in wonder and amazement at what God has done. Last Wednesday night, we we talked about the first advent of Christ on uh, midweek service, and Brad was leading worship, and he got up at the end and he said, my heart's just so full of what God has done for us. It's amazing what he's done through Jesus Christ. I pray that we never lose that wonder. No matter how many Christmases you've experienced I pray you never lose the wonder of the truth of the gospel during this season. But it's not all light. It's not all glory. It's not all wonder. Simeon goes on to address Mary and Joseph, Mary in particular. Look at verse 34. Simeon blessed them. But then he says to Mary, Jesus' mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Mary was indeed a blessed woman, the angel Gabriel told her she was very blessed. She got to be the Theotokos, the Christ-bearer. She got to be the one who would bring the Messiah into the world. But one day she would endure something that no mother should ever have to endure. She would watch her own son be beaten, be mocked, be tortured, be eventually killed in an incredibly horrendous way. The most honored woman in earthly history would know the intense pain of loss. A sword would go through her soul. If you've suffered a profound loss like that, you know what I'm talking about, and you're not alone in it. Sometimes God's blessing in our lives comes with great cost, too, and great suffering. The rest of Simeon's prophecy still rings true today. He talks not only about the pain that Mary will experience, but about this division that Christ brings Jesus remains in our culture a sign that is opposed so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. When people truly encounter Christ, when they truly have an experience of the risen Lord, then their person who they really are is exposed. It's revealed. Fallen, broken people are naturally opposed to the ways of God and to his Messiah. Christ reveals to us just how far short that we fall of God's standard of holiness and righteousness and his amazing grace. All of our our best human efforts and striving falls woefully short. But when we fall before Jesus in humble submission, we receive grace and new life and new birth when we fall face forward on the pavement of our lives, and when we cry out for consolation and comfort that only he can bring, he is faithful to scoop us up, to clean us up, and to embrace us with everlasting arms. So will we surrender anew to him today? Will we admit that all of our education, all of our resources, all of our faculties, All of our ingenuity, our intellects, it all leaves us reaching for real truth, for real beauty, for true freedom, for ultimate love. Only by surrendering all that we are and all that we have to God's kingdom, to his good perfect rule and his perfect perfect purposes, do we find the abundant life that he came to bring us. Are you experiencing that kind of life day by day, or are you just getting by? Could you look up to heaven and honestly say, Newt Demittus, God, you can send me home, I'm ready. I've beheld your glory, your salvation, and for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Maybe today you're still wrestling with some kind of pain or brokenness that this fallen world has brought into your life. Maybe you're in need of consolation still today. That's the Christmas story of the Bible. Hope and consolation, but also pain and struggle. We sang a song two weeks ago that Aaron Legron and the band led us in, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. That's a new contemporary song. It says, Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. The last part's my favorite. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy royal, glorious throne. Let the hope of Advent lift you to a heavenly plane of existence today. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you did not abandon us here on this earth when we have fallen and face planted on the pavement of our lives. God, each one of us has made a mess of things on our own, and we need you, O oh God, to invade our hearts. No matter how accomplished we may seem by earthly standards, we admit today that we are poor in spirit. And your word tells us that we are blessed because of that, that we are happy because ours is the kingdom of heaven. Not an earthly kingdom, oh God, but an eternal spiritual one which will never end. God, we thank you that you came as a baby, but that you grew up, that you lived a perfect life and you gave us examples to follow and you gave us words of life. And then you were betrayed and led to a cross on our behalf and paid the price that we could never have paid on our own. To bridge that gap between your holy perfection and our human sinful broken ways. God, I pray that this morning you would remind us that if we're going to live the abundant life elevated into a heavenly plane of existence where true hope and freedom and love and beauty dwell, it's only done by your all-sufficient merit, not by our own. Help us to surrender anew to you today as we lay down our own wills and embrace yours. God, we love you. We thank you for the advent hope that you bring, even in the midst of struggle and pain, that you bring us hope that one day every tear will be wiped away and all things will be made new. We pray this in the powerful and holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Maybe you're here today, you've never accepted the free gift of salvation that Jesus came to bring you. Maybe that hound of heaven has been after you for a while and you realize it's time to surrender to him. You know, and we're gonna have a time of invitation uh, just a minute here and I invite you to come forward and talk to me about that. Maybe you're just really struggling. Maybe you're, you're just broken and you just need to come and pray at the altar or you wanna pray with someone. I'm gonna ask Jan and, and Brad and if you'll come forward. Uh, if you wanna pray with one of these prayer warriors, they'll be here to receive you. Maybe you just wanna to come to the altar and kneel and pray, that's fine too. I encourage you this season, if you're struggling, uh, go talk to someone. Talk to to me, call me, find a good counselor. Dr. Wade Rowitz here today, uh, Ashley's dad. He's taught counseling for years, years in seminary. And we know how important it is to to get help. And we know people are really struggling with real things. Jesus came and he sees you in your brokenness. And he wants you to, to live the abundant life that he came to bring you. And it's not done by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's done by surrendering all that you are to him. And we'd love to see you uh, find that hope and healing here at Woodmont Baptist Church. Maybe you want to become part of this church as a member, and you say, I'm in. I'm ready to be a part of it. I want to cook eggs at 6 a.m. at Hillsborough High School, and I want to come to the prison, and I want to uh, be a part of small groups, and I want to get involved in Bible study and, and give to missions and see what God's doing here. Not because of missions, it's not the what, but the why, because you feel commanded by God to be a part of something bigger, and we're better together, as Eric said, than we are apart. If you want to join Woodmont Baptist Church, there's no better time to do so than right now. I'd love to talk with you about that. Whatever it is, we're going to sing still, still, still. Don't turn in your hymnals because the text is different, but if the words will be on the screen. What a beautiful promise for us during a busy time. If you're like me, you're overwhelmed right now. Let's sing still, still, still during this sacred Advent season.